Welcome to the FinOps Fridays podcast, where we discuss all things FinOps. It's an educational resource to help you learn and build your capability in all things FinOps. We're also here to have fun, so we'll make it entertaining, have a few laughs, and share a few stories. And welcome back to the second half of the show. Uh, I am here with Ali talking about gamification, putting the fun onto fun ops. Uh, now, I want to go on the next one, uh, avoiding the wrong behaviors. There is a great Dilbert cartoon where, you know, there's a hack day coming up. He wants to code himself into a, a minivan, basically deliberately doing really bad things so that he can throw his cape on and save the day. Um when there's going to be gamification and rewards to achieve an outcome, how do you make sure that people aren't doing the negative things just so that they can come in and save the day later on? Um, how do you balance that and make sure you aren't driving the wrong behaviors? Yeah, so there's always going to be that person who tries to game the system. It's, it's, a, it's unavoidable. There's always that one person or a few people. And most of the times, those are the people that actually find these huge optimizations but never actually implement them. And, and you'll start to see that one come out. But one of the ways we found to prevent this is to define those clear objectives. And so um, recognition of a variety of type of objectives. So you're not trying to penalize someone who's been optimized already. If there's a team that's really already taking advantage of the best practices, um, they're you know using all of the latest and most modern um, generations. They're using the pricing models in the way they should be. They're using, um, you know, serverless architecture, all those different aspects that we'd encourage them to look into. If they're already adopting all of that, we don't want to penalize them, but there's probably still optimization that they can be working on there. And they can always go a little bit further. And so in terms of kind of awards, you you typically break it out into those to three different factors. One, obviously, greatest percent savings, total spend. Um, this normalizes like the difference across teams. So if a team has a smaller amount of spend and another team has a large amount of spend, if you do a percentage of savings of total spend, um, if it's a longer event, I actually say per percentage of realized savings as well as, you know, um, planned savings as well, because you can actually bring in the quantification of their maybe dev environments that they've taken advantage of. But this one's really on that one to get the savings that they've actually achieved. And this is where you find um, the folks who maybe put optimization on the back burner or had a little bit more optimization opportunities to to start with because they, they hadn't really looked into it yet. This is where we see them really excelling and the reward the award that they get. So they're not penalized for not optimizing before, but they're still able to, you know, participate in and and get a recognition after the event. The folks who are Sorry, what was that? Oh, no, and and you, you sort of also um, like try to mix the teams up. Like don't have them on their default teams that they're on every day, but have somebody that's a good discoverer of opportunities, somebody that's a good executioner of the the opportunities and mix those sort of and distribute those across the teams. Uh, yes. And so depending on the team, the, the way they work in the event, definitely mixing it up. Mixing it up is um, definitely helpful for a game day because it's, uh, you know, a pre-canned environment that they're working in. Sometimes there's just, you need your team to be able to take advantage of an opportunity though too. So when we mix it up, one of the things that we found is um, there's typically a team that maybe have done an event before and they were really successful with it or a team that might be one of those folks that are a top trender in terms of that optimization metric and already taking advantage of it. That'd be someone that we might want to partner up with 
um, a team that's newer to it and they can help break it down in the way that they did it and approached it. And it's also, it's also always helpful to have someone who is actually in your organization rather than a partner or a vendor coming in and saying, hey, you can do this, here's how. It's, hey, we've already done this, here's what we did, here's what we learned. And by the way, like you can actually use some of the aspects that we have because um, you're already running on you know, the same type of setup that we are. Or, or they're able to kind of connect those dots and, and you make connections with folks that they might've actually never connected with before. And these events are a good way to kind of bring those people together. And, and those are the folks that you actually find um, some of the most innovative new ideas of ways of thinking because they learn from the people that they're helping as well of a, maybe a new approach or a new way that they didn't think of too. Gotcha. And is there specific um, areas that you don't gamify that you want to stay away from gamify because of the risk of the adverse behavior? I'd say security. <laughs> I I'm, don't think you'd ever gamify security. That's just not, not something I'd, I'd want to do. But um, in terms of FinOps specifically, I try not to gamify commits. I think there's going to come into a play where you're going to gamify commits. And when I say commits, I mean um, your reserved instances or your savings plan coverage. The reason for that, it's really easy to say you've optimized and just buy a commit. And that happens before. That has happened so many times. And it actually blocks optimization sometimes. And so a FinOps person might buy a commit without talking to the engineering team. And that engineering team was like, I actually wanted to, um, you know, change the type of instance I was running because of what I learned or change what we're doing. And they won't see the savings for it if they do it because of the decision that was made from a commit perspective. So we definitely think commits come into play, but you need to use them in parallel. And so we try not to gamify them up front to let the teams have the time to really look at the architectural elements that they can optimize first. Um, I would potentially suggest not gamifying the purchase of the commits, but <laughs> gamifying the reporting of the commits. Yes. Like don't do the whole just 80% coverage thing. Um, don't get me started. But that, that sort of thing, like the analysis, the reporting, the insight, the tracking of the commits is maybe something worth gamifying. Yes. And, and actually, that's actually one that we actually have a customer use case that was really cool to see. Um, I know you're not going to like this metric. Uh, <laughs> it, it starts, it actually started with them realizing they had like a 99% utilization. I know 99%, still really good. But what they are finding is that their average discount was going down because it was covering items that were um, not always during, during their core work hours, weren't always the ones that they should be that they wanted to go to because of this uh, strategy that they purchased with. So they purchased them in accounts. And so it was applying to that usage first. They actually were able to look at it. And, and I'd actually never seen this done before. It was really cool how the different teams work together from their central finance team to the actual teams who were making the purchases in those accounts kind of sat down and, and looked at what workloads they were being applied to during the work week when the peak times were coming. And what they found is some of those workloads that were getting a lot of the, the savings opportunities were ones that had actually no business hour dependencies and they could run them on the weekends. And, and they shut them all down and started running those outside of the work hours. They were still able to be covered because they had the an amount of coverage for it, but the other items that were being able to be covered during the team's time were ones that weren't actually getting hit before. So their overall savings dollars went up and they actually were able to purchase a higher commit because they found that when they spread it out, 
they could actually increase that coverage because they had these workloads running more consistently on the weekends too. I, I could, I would, I would love to just rant for a while. Um, and like on that one, I think to me, it sounds more like the, and one of the, the last things that I did when I was part of Well Architected, the whole um, match supply and demand, like, you know, you've, you've got to increase elasticity. And my point was, well, no. And I, I changed that best practice to manage demand and supply resources, like smooth out the peak, defer processing, buffer, look at servicing a request a different way and then supply resources however you need. So it looks like that's more of what they did is to defer that workload, smooth out the peak. And yeah, they can then run everything as commits and not have these sort of huge uncovered peak loads and not have to worry about the potential use of, of things like uh, interruptible spots as well. Exactly. And I, and I, and I, that was, I still remember that that was a great paper. That was the data behind that was amazing. And so exactly that, that's kind of what they did. And they were across the team, which as you know, it's not always commit management across um, a single, you know, account, account purchasing perspective, as well as a, a consolidated um, payer account or, you know, combination of accounts organization purchases. It can get kind of hard to figure out who owns what, and they work together so well and, and were able to use the data and what they knew about their teams to help kind of drive change and really push forward of, you know, this will work for us. And they were the ones that then be able to work with their teams to, to, to implement it, implement it, and then go back to the consolidated organization and say, hey, can you purchase this coverage now for us? Because we're only going to use it at certain times. And so it was, it was crazy to see these teams who used to do this in silos were now working together. And they have probably one of the most efficient automated processes now that they still have to go in and talk to their teams, but they've got it down to such a well-oiled machine that the teams now know to tell their, tell their counterparts like, Hey, we're thinking about doing this change. And the other folks know the right people to communicate to, and they can schedule them ahead of time and let, let it all kind of fall into place. And so it's really hands-off optimization now for them. Yeah. Interesting. And I think it's also another little thing I've picked up from that was that, now, they're not following the best practice of purchasing commit in a dedicated separate account. They're purchasing all through the accounts. They actually quantified what the cost of a bad finance procurement and what is the actual cost of not doing the best practice there. That's um, that's interesting. It was very interesting. And, and it was a bunch of folks who I don't think even knew their various counterparts existed until this. And so that all came out of an event that Truthfully, those people probably weren't going to be the ones that would have all been at the event either. So again, those people who show up in the room that end up having a place and you create a kind of a separate event for them at the same time. And so it was it was kind of a perfect scenario of exactly how gamification can evolve. Nice, nice. All right, now is the time where we take a quick break for the mailbag questions. This is where we answer the questions that you've given us for the previous episode. Uh, if you do have any questions or feedback, email us feedback at finopsfridays.com. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, flick a little comment below. So across to the mailbag. Alrighty, and welcome to the mailbag for the previous episode. This was the episode about containers with Mike Serma from New Relic. So the first question, Mike, sounds like New Relic was an early adopter of containers. What was it specifically about containers that attracted you so early on? Uh, so it was actually hard for them to get Puppet to do exactly what they wanted. Uh, they could try, they could get close, but it just couldn't get everything uh, out of it that they wanted to. 
Uh, they were able to get a team to stand up some regular Java Ruby web apps in the infrastructure, but getting all of that infrastructure in place was the additional challenge. They made progress on the web app, but the infrastructure was really uh, the last issue to solve. And that's where they could really start to get the benefit once they did implement containers. Second question, uh, allocate, allocating container costs by cluster, namespace, and labels is critical to large uh, Kubernetes orgs. How are you visualizing and allocating by those levels of granularity? Uh, so they're currently using interling tooling to try and achieve that. They've got an infrastructure agent uh, and the built-in Kubernetes metrics and start to pump that data into Snowflake to develop usage reporting, which they publish daily to their teams. Um, they use letter grades rather than actual costs as they don't have a good way yet to marry the cost and the usage together in their homegrown solution. Uh, good to see that they're actually starting to put that and make that available in dashboards to their users. Even though it's not perfect, you can see there is still immense benefits by getting part of the way there and getting that into their users' hands. Okay, what level of Kubernetes cost monitoring do you have in place? Uh, they're continually focusing their efforts uh, to try and build that out and increase the capabilities. They don't currently have a good way to attribute the cost precisely. They do take a more usage focused approach on that, which is the next best thing for them. Uh, where's the majority of their Kubernetes spend currently in compute? Final question, uh, there's AKS, EKS, and GKE. What are the pros and cons of each? Why have you chosen the specific ones you have? Uh, primarily they use EKS um, as they don't currently have significant workloads in the other cloud providers at this time. Uh, they do anticipate they will start to use EKS and GKA once they start having significant workloads in those vendors though. So again, they're not against using multiple uh, multiple platforms. It's just a case of use the one that's most appropriate for what you've got. Uh, the biggest win that they've currently got is no longer having to manage the control plane and that's where the big win is. So if you've got any questions or any feedback, feel free to email us at feedback at finopsfridays.com or leave a comment in the YouTube video below as well. Back to the show. All right, and on to our very last topic that we're here to discuss about gamification. What does success look like? You know, we've spoken about it. I'm pumped, I'm excited. I've got an understanding of how to start gamifying. What does it look like over the long term when it's successful? Everything's working well. It's been in place for a while. I've got capability in my organization. What do you see? What are some of the things that have changed within a customer that's really evident after they've been successfully gamifying things? Yeah, so obviously with the gamification, um, a lot of times it comes out of the events is actual savings realized. And so that's always one that's pretty successful and pretty fun for them to show. But I think one of the most impactful aspects of it is when you get to see teams actually take what they learned and apply it post the event as well and continue on it as part of their day-to-day. -day. So we actually worked with a customer once who was looking at a processor optimization where they were adopting a new type of processors, um, instance processors. And during the event, they had a pretty good adoption. They actually won the event. They um, were able to convert almost all of their non-prod environments in about a four-week period. But, you know, post the event, they had a little bit more to finish on their non-prod environments. 
and we weren't even tracking anymore. They already gotten their award. They had already won. They were they were actually the top adopter at their organization, even with just their non-prod environments at this point in time. And I was doing a kind of a post end of year recap with their central team and was pulling metrics and it shot out to me. They're, they had jumped well ahead of everyone else even further and we're at almost 100% adoption of what they had targeted to do after the event. No one was tracking it. No one was rewarding them for it after. They actually just recognized that this was best for them and it was working and, and actually making their applications a little bit more performant too. And they just went a full speed adoption ahead at it and keep and kept chugging away. They never told anyone they were really doing it. I mean, you could see it from a perspective of, you know, they were planning with their teams, obviously. But in terms of just our gamification event, they weren't looking for the recognition for it anymore. They had already kind of won that event, but just really saw the benefit and the value of it. And of course, after seeing this, we recognize them again. We're able to give them a huge shout out across their whole teams and on all of this. But at that point in time, they didn't even think of it as an optimization. They just thought of it as, you know, part of their day to day and their engineering processes now. It was now a best practice for them. So you actually saw the outcome and the goal of gamification, but just happening in their day to day workflow, their, their daily workflow and, and work style had actually just changed. Exactly. And so we actually ask them about it like you know what are you guys doing how can we take this back to some of your other teams as well and they basically said there, there was kind of this like point of an aha moment of you know it's now just part of our day-to-day -day checklist you know you have the different things that you do before you um you know deploy your your latest uh, code or you know improve your application or take action or do anything the same way you wake up in the morning and have your routine they have their kind of checklist this just became an item on their checklist and it became second nature for the teams. It was no longer, you know, I have to optimize this. They started from it, from the start for anything new. And for the ones that were still there, they quickly were able to take that single action and get off of it. And, and now they were looking for what do we do next? You know, how can we, you know, how can we keep adding more of these type of day, uh, you know, daily best practices into our day to day? And, and we're actually looking for like little kind of tweaks that they could add on top of it. And so by understanding their processes, we actually were able to figure out, hey, if you make this kind of same little tweak here, you can replicate the same type of approach with another service. It's a pretty similar concept. And they were able to take that one and adopt it too. So another really yeah. cool way of figuring just how they learn, learning from them, and also just seeing kind of what, what makes a difference, what actually moves the needle to realize savings. And um, are there things that you don't see, like after you've been gamifying, you've got the capability, you know, are there things that go away, escalations at like biweekly reporting sessions, finance yelling at ops? Um, yeah, what do you see that goes away as some of the bad things that are no longer there? I think uh, the finger pointing about, you know, why didn't you do this beforehand or, um, you know, you have this whole dollar value of an opportunity that someone presented and said, I think right sizing is the best one example of this. It's really easy for someone from the finance side to say, you have so much money you could save here, but there's more than meets the eye. And so I think there becomes a, a respect uh, component of it to really understand that not 100% of an optimization is always realizable. You're looking at a best case scenario. So before you kind of jump to conclusions, you know, talk to the teams, understand why it is or isn't something that they should be looking at and what's more feasible. And I think that's one of the key pieces that comes out of it because you're not having these false reality of numbers that kind of 
put people against each other because they're now on the hook to answer why they couldn't get that large of a savings. Instead, they're now talking about how do we make sure we are getting the maximum savings that we can or the maximum efficiencies we can based on our constraints and what we need to do from a business activity perspective to keep our end customers or are their end tooling, whatever they're you know, working on in a way that it's running as efficiently as it can. And is there, uh, as you're going through the uh, progression, you're building that capability, are there certain milestones or certain things you do differently at each stage? We, we touched on it briefly before. At the start, everyone's all in. It starts to dwindle down. Do you then look at refreshing and trying to bring everyone back in? Like, What are some of the main things you see over a longer journey of uh, gamification? I think building out your internal toolkit. And I, and I say internal toolkit because I know there's a lot of resources out there, but uh, a lot of teams will start to build out their own toolkits and use content that they, or use learnings that they have from each other. So customizing it to be, you know, how did we do this with an organization? Or what are kind of the folks that are SMEs or the subject matter experts in these areas that you can leverage? And so starting to build out kind of those organization-specific types of areas where they can now take it and, and, and learn with it. I also found that, you know, one of the things that works best is if folks with similar types of pipelines or applications are in events together, um, because you want to bring in specialists, you want to bring in folks who can talk in the ways that they need to understand the op optimizations to make them actually actionable and something they can realize. And if you have folks who are deploying code in all different ways or very different types of use cases, it's something that can actually take away from the event for, for different types of, of those folks. And so if we can understand the different teams and how they fit together, we can um, group them together in a way that they can have content that's very specific towards how they think about it and how they run their applications. Excellent. That is it. That is a wrap for the show. Uh, Ali, is there any specific resources? Obviously, potentially contact your vendor, but are there some resources you would like to tell our users about to help build up the gamification? Like where should they start to look for additional information around this? Yeah, I, I'd say the first place is your own data. You know, a lot of the folks that are gonna be, you know, looking at the gamification and where their opportunities are with their teams are the folks who hold the key to where their data trends are, or their cost optimization trends are today. So if they're able to actually take that and and actually see, okay, gamify themselves first. Where do I see these opportunities? Challenge themselves to find it and work with their teams to, to see where their opportunity lies first. That would be kind of the first step. There's a lot of resources on the, you know, the well-architected labs about how to look at your spend, how to see it, how to understand it. And there's also a lot of game days and, and types of immersion days that vendors offer where you can just learn more and see where your team's interests are. So a couple different areas there. But at the end of the day, make sure it's actually an area that your team has spend in and has an opportunity in there. So start with yourself, challenge yourself, look into the data and understand where your trends are. So that is it for another episode of FinOps Fridays. If you have any questions or feedback on this episode or would like to learn more, please feel free to reach out to us at finopsfridays at aptio.com. Also like and subscribe to get updates for future episodes. 